0: So this morning, um, Greg is going to be sharing. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna share this. One of the things that as a pastor, God has really placed on my heart is that we have a multitude of voices in our church. And sometimes we get so conditioned to pastors voice. And I'm praying, so watch out. I'm praying that God stirs in you in us so we can hear in, in, in a variance of ways. So my heart is that, that we have opportunities like this morning with people in the body that we can share what God has kind of put on our hearts. Greg came to me and said, this is something God put on my heart. He did this once before and then he broke his back on me. And so we just told him he wasn't allowed to get on a ladder until he preached this time. Um, but uh, so Greg, got, he, he felt like God was stirring in him. You can come up here, Greg. And so uh, he's going to share with us what I believe is, is a powerful truth that God has placed upon him. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pray for you before yeah, you get started. Thank you, God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this opportunity today to hear from you. And so I pray for Greg, God, I pray for his notes, I pray for his PowerPoint, I pray for his words, that every part of it would be anointed of you. For him, God, I pray for clarity of mind, for a submission of self, so he can accomplish your will. For us this morning, as we're here participating in the word of God, help us to hear what you need us to hear this day, without distractions, without um, being uh, out of focus, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor. Um, And I'll take this public opportunity to say thank you for everybody that's prayed for us and our family over the last year and a half. It was quite an ordeal we went through, and I guarantee you I would not be here without your prayers. So thank you for that. Okay, this morning, and by the way, I don't take this lightly at all that I stand up and speak for God. It is very serious and I take it very seriously. So, just want to put that out there first up. This morning, anybody recognize the logo right here? Anybody recognize that? We got one. Two. We got two people. The only people that ever recognize that? Oh, man, I got a long day ahead of me. Anyway, if anybody remember how do I click this faster? I don't know how to run this thing. This one? Okay. Does that remind you of anything? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Fear Factor was a TV show that started back in like 2004 or something. I don't know how many seasons, around four or five. But basically, contestants would get on there and they'd do crazy stunts and eat all kinds of gross and disgusting stuff. And as soon as they, if they got through the three different stunts, whoever was survived getting through all this gross and disgusting things, here's the lady, you can't see it really well, but she's laying in this coffin full of snakes. And this morning we're going to check our fear factor. The name of my sermon is Fear Factor. And I got the baptismal full translates, so if anybody wants to be the first to check their fear factor, we'll let you come up. But no, no. Um, but we are going to be checking our fear factor this morning. And there's interesting that the word talked about fear this morning. Well, there's two different kinds of fear. There's the kind of fear Satan wants us to have, which basically you hear Jesus and the Old Testament both talking about fear not, fear not, fear not. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're going to look at the other, the kind of fear that God wants us to have. And so, our beginning verse here today, where do I point this? is Proverbs 9.10. 19.10, I think it's supposed to be. At least that's what I have down here. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, so that's kind of our base scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And how do we appropriate that fear? Because if God wants us to have it, obviously it's something necessary. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I'm... a Bible teacher, not a preacher, and so, as pastor says, I use Scripture to preach. It's rather than me blabbing a lot, Scripture does my teaching for me, so we're going to use a lot of Scripture. So let's have a quick word of prayer, and then I'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you this day for this opportunity. Thank you that uh, we're called to fear you, to have a fear of the Lord. And it's the basis for our faith. It's the basis for all things related to You. And we just thank You for that. May no one hear words of condemnation that are not from You, but hear Your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Okay, so if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then basically that's the foundation. If you have no fear of the Lord, then you have no wisdom. doesn't matter how many, again, from God's perspective we're talking about, not from man's doesn't matter how many PhDs or how many doctorates or how many letters behind your name and how much education you have. If, if you have no fear of the Lord from God's perspective, you're a fool. And the next verse, we talk about that. Um, the fool says in his heart there is no God. So ultimately, if you don't believe in God, then God says you're a fool. If you don't believe in Him, that's kind of the foundational ideas here. But obviously, it's not just about believing in Him. The Scripture also teaches that um, demons believe and tremble. But obviously, demons aren't following after Him. So they've rejected Him. They lived with Him, and yet they reject Him. So it doesn't—it's not just believing that He exists. It's a little deeper than that. Which brings us to our next Scripture here, which is Hebrews 11. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, or He is, is how the King James uses it, that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Okay, so it starts out with faith, or with belief. we got to believe what God says. That's part of that beginning of the fear of the Lord. You believe that God exists, obviously, but it's more than just exists. You believe that He what he says is true, that if you obey him, you follow after him, then he will, there's a reward for that. There's things that are gained by following after and doing what he says. If you seek him, okay, part of that seeking. That's the beginning of wisdom is to seek after him and, and have faith and believe what he says. Okay, so that's one definition the Bible gives us for the fear of the Lord. The next one is humility. Oops, I must have missed something. Um or maybe that's not did I skip? Nope, Pastor missed one in there, I think. Oh well, that's okay. I'll read it. it says Proverbs twenty two, four says, Humility is the fear of the Lord and its wisdom. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches, honor, and life. So humility is the fear of the Lord. So you can't have humility without The fear of the Lord. Again, that's not happening yet. Humility is very important to the fear of the Lord. And we find that uh, Isaiah 57 says, this is God talking, He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Okay, so that contrite heart is what humility looks like. Okay, that lowly spirit. We find the opposite of that in the world. What, what the rest of this verse went on to say is it's wages, humility's wages, or the fear of the Lord wages, are riches, honor, and life. What we see in this world where the most pompous, arrogant people are the ones who look like they're the ones who are getting rich, right? They're the ones who get all the accolades and honor and life, but God's got a whole different lens He looks through. And he says the humble, the contrite in heart are those who reap the reward of riches. The true riches Pastor was talking about last week. Okay, so that's kind of the next one. Okay, that's probably that verse we just looked at. I should have snapped forward. Okay, so the next one is another definition the Bible gives of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Okay, so... God hates evil, and to fear the Lord, if we don't hate evil, then we don't have a proper fear of the Lord. We're we're lacking something. Which ultimately means we hate, if we have the proper fear of the Lord, if our fear factor is where it should be, then we're going to hate what God hates. We're going to love what God loves. What does God hate? Well, He hates sin. He hates evil, as it says in this verse. But He loves people who sin, and He loves people who are still you know involved in evil well we also if you have a proper fear of the lord we should hate sin avoid sin avoid evil but we should love people even though they sin and even though they're still involved with sin so a proper fear of the lord will cause us to hate what what god hates and love what god loves Okay, so then we come to the definition of the fear of the Lord. Okay, the fear of the Lord, this is, I look, the internet always answers everything, right? But this is one of them that I thought covered a pretty good perspective. It says, the fear of the Lord is to have deep respect, reverence, and awe for God's power, His authority, and holiness. But, rather than causing one to be terrified and afraid of God a proper fear of the Lord causes us to love him okay so it's a deep awe and respect and and for God but which before you're born again you might be a little terrified of God and rightfully so because he is holy he is powerful he is you know he is can do all things does do all things but once we have the fear of the Lord to lead us to salvation, we understand his grace and mercy and love, then it causes us to love him when we the more we fear him, the more we love him. So that's kind of the definition of the fear of the Lord that I thought was a pretty good perspective here. Okay. Um ooh. so the benefits and results of the fear of the Lord. Here's a few Scripture we're going to go through really quickly to talk about some of the benefits and results if we fear the Lord. Okay, so Proverbs ten twenty two: The fear of the Lord adds links to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Who doesn't want links to your life? Mostly we all want to have a long, happy, prosperous life. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, will bring us that. Okay, Proverbs 19 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and then one can rest content untouched by trouble. Okay. It leads to life. Who doesn't want an abundant life? So, fear of the Lord will lead us to an abundant life. But it also goes on to say you can rest content untouched by trouble. Does that mean if you fear the Lord you won't have any trouble? If that's true. I clearly didn't fear the Lord the last year or so. I don't think that's what that means. What it means is you got to backtrack. it will, Jesus himself said, In this world, you'll have trouble. So he's not saying just because you fear the Lord, you're not going to have any bad stuff happen to you. What it's saying is, even in your trouble, you can rest content. You can be content. You can know. You trust in God's goodness. You trust in his faithfulness. You trust in his heart. And so you can rest content even though there is trouble around you. Okay? Okay, the fear of the Lord, another benefit. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Okay, so if you fear the Lord, it can be a secure fortress around you. But what I like about this verse, we got any mama bears or mama daddies in here that protect their children above anything. People will do anything to protect their children. And this verse tells us that if you fear the Lord it'll cause a refuge to be around your children who doesn't want to protect their children pastor in a sermon last week said something about if you won't search for the treasure for yourself search for it for your kids well i would say that about fearing the lord if you won't look for the fear of the lord for yourself and try to raise your fear of the lord factor raise it for your kids because it'll cause a refuge to be around your kids if we fear the lord properly Okay, and then the last one I got in. Well, maybe not. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of life turning a man from the snares of death. You know, what? what's a snare? Yeah. Okay, it turns you from the snare. What is a snare? A trap, but it's a special kind of trap. It's a hidden trap that you can't see. It's not right out there. It's a hidden one because it's trying to That you fall in it unaware. Well, if we fear the Lord, God is basically saying here, it will help us see those traps that Satan sets for us, that you can see them coming so we won't have to fall into those snares. Okay, so um, anyway, how many addictions would be avoided if we saw it coming? It doesn't happen all at once. You slowly fall into that. How many marriages would be saved if we saw the snare that we are falling into with our bad habits or whatever? How many, how, how much heartache would we miss if we could see these snares that Satan sets for us, and and we could avoid them? So the fear of the Lord will help us protect us from the snares. Okay, and then the last one in this part is Proverbs 16. Oh. Six. It's not clicking. There we go. I'm probably pointing in the wrong place. Okay. Through, through the love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Similar to the last one in, in one sense, but the interesting part here is it says sin is atoned for. We don't have anything to do with the first part. Jesus atones for our sin. What's our part? The fear of the Lord. And if we fear the Lord, then we will avoid evil. We, Yeah, evil is avoided. So we can avoid a lot of troubles in our life if we fear the Lord. Okay. Um, so we see little fear of the Lord in our society anymore. If you look in general society, there's not a lot of fear of the Lord out there. And there's... In fact, I would dare say even in amongst the church at large, the fear of the Lord factor is a lot lower than it should be. People just don't have that fear of the Lord in we that we should have. And I think there's probably some reasons for this. One of the reasons that I believe that is is because some of the things that the Bible teaches Aren't really talked about much anymore. They're not taught a lot anymore. They're not preached about much anymore. And so, when the, and there's a reason why these things aren't talked about or preached or or you know taught much anymore is because, quite frankly, they're not palatable to the general public. Okay, they're not politically correct. They're they're offensive to people, and you're going to be called hateful. You're going to be called judgmental. You're going to be Say you're following the Old Testament or you're not following after grace. I mean, there's lots of names that will be caught to you if you start talking about some of these unpalatable things. And so, um, anyway, what that basically comes down to then is that the fear you're more, if, if we, how oh, I waved it, if we avoid talking about something because people are going to make fun of you then what are you really doing? You're fearing man instead of fearing God. How tragic is that when we're called to fear God and yet we fear man so we keep our mouths shut? Okay, so that's a tragic thing. But here's a couple or a little list of some of the things that we're, um, aren't preached much anymore. I guess I'm not sure how this is. I guess we'll just get them all up there. We don't talk about wrath. We don't talk about hell. We don't talk about judgment. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk much about repentance. Just a few of the lists. I'm going to read a few verses related to some of these topics. And believe me, there's, I could spend a whole week talking about each one of these. So it's very short what we're going through. But just quick highlights that the Scripture does teach this stuff. Not making this up. The fear, I have enough fear of the Lord not to stand up here and purposely lead you astray. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to teach you what I believe the Bible teaches. Okay, and if you don't agree with my assessment up go home and read it. Be a good Berean, as the Scripture is saying, go home and read it, study it. Okay, so the first one is Revelations 14, 10 and 11. It says, they, it's kind of right in the middle of the verse, but you'll get it as we get through it. It says, They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. They will, there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Okay, not a good drink there. A uh, cup of wrath, wine of fury, not something very popular. Not It's not it's not fun thing to preach about. I understand why nobody talks about it. It's not a fun thing. Their torment will rise forever and ever. This isn't good. But as if you're a non-believer, hopefully this will add to your fear of the Lord and help you find your way to God because this is... This is real. This isn't This isn't a fake thing. You know, we see Jesus too often in society, which is true too. Jesus with the little lamb. He's the little fuzzy Jesus with the little lamb. And he's surrounded by children. And that's, how, that's true. That's who Jesus is too. But G, the Scripture also shows Jesus as the conquering king with his robe dipped in blood. Read Revelations. And you'll see some of that stuff. So he... Jesus is both. He's a righteous judge. He's a perfectly holy. He's perfectly loving. But he's also that judge who hates sin as we saw a minute ago. Okay, so this one kind of talks about the wrath in hell and we saw it said. The next couple of verses, scriptures, are going to deal with kind of some of the sin issues. This thing is from Jude 1, uh, verse 4 and 5 says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the, gospel, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus, our only sovereign Lord. Though so you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt but later, destroyed those who did not believe. Okay, this is talking kind of about there's a n- newer movement in our world today about hyper grace. In other words, because Jesus' grace is so great, it's, he's so loving that no matter, you know, everybody's going to get to heaven because Jesus paid that price for them. And that's kind of what this looks like. It's talking that same kind of thing happening. Is somebody came in and they're telling you, "Hey, because God's grace, you know, He forgave your sin and he, he just loves you so much that you can you can just go on and do whatever you want because Jesus always forgives you," which is true. Jesus' grace does forgive; us no matter what we do, but it's not it's not without its consequence. Okay, it's it's not. He the writer of uh, Jude goes on to say. Hey, remember the children of Israel? They all got delivered out of their slavery. They all came out of Egypt, which is kind of a type of salvation, right? We are delivered from your slavery, you're delivered from your from the bondage of sin. And yet he goes on here and he says, but later some of them were destroyed who didn't believe. So even though there's grace, we got to continue to believe. We got to continue to follow after what God God does not just use To say, well, God forgives me and God's grace is so great that I can just continue in our sin. Okay, so the idea of this should keep us in that place of understanding the fear of the Lord, to help us to check our fear factor and make sure it's where it needs to be. Um, Okay, I'm going to take a little drink here. Oh, another heavy verse here Colossians 3. Colossians three five through ten says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these the wrath of God is coming and is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of our Creator. Okay, it's got a list of, of stuff there right at the beginning. And then it says, because of these the wrath of God is coming. Okay, so if as non-believers these things cause the wrath of God to come, then I, like Romans, said it better than I could. It says, uh, a little different translation there, but how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Right? If, if the wrath comes because of such things, how do we who've been born again want to keep living like this? Okay. And so, again, if our fear factor is where it should be, we won't want to continue to sin. We shouldn't want to live that kind of lifestyle. Or if we are, it should cause us to check ourselves, make sure our fear factor, our fear of the Lord factor is where it needs to be. And, if, you know, so maybe it's lacking if we're struggling with these things on perpetually. It doesn't mean we're never going to sin, we're never going to fall, we're never going to fail. But again, there's a whole list of stuff there that we can look at. And, you know, if you think this this uh, message didn't step an awful lot of my toes, I had to do a lot of fear check factor checking in my own life because, you know, the, the that's the whole point of this is we need to make sure our fear factors is where God wants it. Okay, next is Matthew seven thirteen. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, but only a few find it. So, According to this, getting into the kingdom isn't necessarily that easy. It's a narrow gate, a small gate, and a narrow road. The wide gate and the big broad road lead to destruction. And my one of the things that always bothers me, I guess it's the watchman thing that God's placed inside of me, but it bothers me. It doesn't hardly matter whose someone's passes away and doesn't matter whose funeral you go to. Inevitably people are talking about this loved one who's passed. They're in heaven dancing with all their relatives. And often even the preachers are talking about them being in heaven. And that's all fine and dandy, and I hope it's true. Every bit in me hopes that these people have all found Jesus and found their way into the kingdom, you know, through repentance and following after Him. But based on this verse, it's unlikely that everybody who's funeral you go to has actually found their way into the kingdom because narrow is that gate. And so... And the, what bothers me when it comes to the fear of, our, fear of the Lord factor is that if Uncle Joe passed away and he was an atheist and a scoundrel, and I look at it and say, well, if he's in heaven, then I don't have much to worry about because I'm better than Uncle Joe was. he was a scoundrel. And so basically it causes me not to look at my own fear. I don't have to worry about it because I'm better than him, right? That tends to be what we do. And which maybe we shouldn't be doing it that way, obviously, but we do, and so it actually it reverses the backlash behind it is we are not worried about our fear of the Lord, because they got in, then I can get in, we don't have to worry about it. Or if everybody gets in, we're back up to the you know the one a minute ago that we read about the grace, you know, His grace covers everything, it doesn't matter. So again, it's a narrow road, and it should cause us to uh, check our fear factor a little bit to make sure it's where it needs to be. Okay, next one. I told you we had lots of scripture. I hope you got your pens greased. Okay, Matthew 7:21. Okay, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? And in Your name drive out demons? And in Your name perform many miracles? But I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If there's any Scripture in the Bible that causes me to check my own personal double-check, even I'll put it that way, my personal fear factor as a believer, this is one of them. You look at these guys on the surface. They were casting out demons. They are performing miracles. They were prophesying. They looked like the perfect mega-Christian person on the surface. But clearly, somewhere in there, they weren't doing the will of the Father because that's what that verse says. "Is only those who do the will of the Father. And how do we know that? Because Jesus says them, him, I never, he didn't say I used to know you when you let yourself slip. He says, I never knew you. And he goes on to say, call them evildoers. So you can do all the right things and still clearly not have a true fear factor of God. Right? Not have that true salvation experience. And so, man, this verse is one for me that really causes me to check my fear factor. And uh, this Isaiah 29 to me kind of explains maybe what's going on here. Uh, the Lord says through Isaiah, "These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship me is based merely upon human rules that they have been taught. So their their hearts, their mouths talk about God. They go to church. They help with Taco Tuesday. They Do all the good stuff, but quite frankly, their hearts really aren't close to God where they need to be. They're just following after man's ideas, man's rules, man's philosophies, and not really have a true fear of the Lord. Okay, and then we go on to another one of my favorite scriptures, is Matthew 25, 1 through 8. Oh, okay, 1 through 13. There's two slides. Okay, this is kind of a long scripture here, but it says, At that time, it's a parable Jesus spoke. At that time the king of the heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to, to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for your lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, to go to those who sell oil and buy some for... Oops, I'm probably past you, aren't I? I'm I past you. Um, no, I lost my place. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell the oil. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later, the others also came, saying, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This scripture is one I've wrestled over with as a teacher for a lot. Whether these virgins were all believers, were they not? To me on the surface, they look certainly look like they, you know, first of all, they're virgins, they're waiting for the bridegroom. So that means they're pure. They're waiting for the Jesus being the bridegroom, you know, parable-ish. So on the surface, everything looks great. But what I f- discovered when I'm studying this is there's kind of a new ident- dynamic to it that I found really interesting. Okay, they were split into five. There were five what kind? Two kinds of virgins. Five were what? Foolish and five were wise. Okay, so we got five foolish ones and five wise ones. Okay, so there's a split. If we go back to my beginning in scripture, how do you get wisdom? Okay, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So five were wise, that means they had the fear of the Lord. Right? Five were foolish. What did we learn at the beginning about a fool? A fool says in his heart, there's no God. I'm not saying these virgins were Atheists. I don't really believe that's what it's teaching. But they're foolish. Okay? So they're foolish, which means that they let their fear factor was very or their fear factor was very low. It was not where it needed to be. And how do we know that? Well what we see is they're half hearted, the foolish ones were half hearted, they were unprepared, and they really weren't very concerned about the Lord's return or they would have been repaired. They were Concerned about the bridegroom coming, they would have not been caught unaware. Okay, so they were foolish. Their their fear of the Lord factor had, had dropped to the point where they didn't really care about what's happening here. And the other thing I found interesting just for myself was what did the five foolish ones want to do? They wanted to get some oil from those who had a good fear of the Lord, from the wise. Give us some of yours. And the wise are like, uh, no, you got to go get your own. You cannot give your fear of the Lord to someone else. <laughs> you can do what they did. You can point them. In fact, that's part of the point of this lesson. We need to raise our fear of the Lord factor so we can point people to where to go get it. But you can't give yours to them. You can't give it to your kids. Right? I can't give it to you. The pastor can't give you his. You have to find your own. So anyway, so that... Again, one of those scriptures that hopefully make us aware of um, our fear factor and help us check our fear factor. okay, so the Bible in closing I got a, the Bible has a couple examples of people who uh, got a fear of the Lord as they went. One was an unbeliever and the other one is a believer who realized where they were, and then they got a good fear of the Lord. And they they talk about who God is. That's what I want us to look at. Okay, so the first one is Daniel. If you'll remember the story of Daniel, he basically is taken off into a foreign land. And we come across King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has an encounter. In fact, I should have left that off for a minute. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar encounters Daniel and the true God for the first time when he has a dream. If you remember he has this dream, nobody can interpret it. Daniel comes and interprets it for him. And when he does, then Nebuchadnezzar is like, man, the God of Daniel, he's awesome. Everybody should pay attention. He's He's really a true God. So he has an encounter with God, but he doesn't change. How do I know King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change? Because you go to chapter two, that was chapter two. You turn over to chapter three. The very first thing it says is, he builds a 90-foot statue of himself and makes everybody bow down to it, or he's going to kill them. They get thrown in the firing furs. Okay, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you probably remember that story. They get thrown in the fire. They don't get burned up, so they bring them out. King Nebuchadnezzar again has an encounter with God because says, "Wow, there is no God like." you know, this true God of the Hebrews, he's the God anybody who doesn't says anything bad about them, we're gonna kill them now. So he has an encounter, he kinda of sees it, but he doesn't really change. How do we know that? Because you chip to the next chapter and he has another dream in which in which God comes to him trying to get his attention and says, Man, if you don't well, Daniel comes and interprets it, but the dream basically was, if you don't serve me, you're going to become like a beast and you're going to go live in the country you're going to you know eat grass like an ox and until you come and fear me basically is what it's saying then this is you're going to lose your throne and live like a beast well god gave him a whole year scripture says but after a whole year he'd never changed he'd never humbled himself before god and so then uh it, happens exactly what was in his dream and he loses his throne he loses his mind he lives out in, the, out in the desert or wherever it was that he lived Daniel 4.34 comes up and it says at that time I Nebuchadnezzar raise my eyes toward heaven which is the first step for you whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian yet pre-Christian I like to call them We start getting our fear of the Lord factor by raising our eyes, realizing that we have to turn to a God, right? So he raised his eyes to heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. This is what he's saying about God. And this is the part that we understand as... as we have a healthy fear of the Lord, we'll understand some of the things about God. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold his hand back or say what have you done? And some of the things I just wanted to point out is God he does as he pleases. That's one of those understandings we need to have a proper fear of the Lord. No one he can hold back his hand. In other words, you can't stop God. You can't. You can't. We try to manipulate God. Even isn't it crazy that we as humans try to manipulate God? But you can't. You can't change it. And no one can say what have you done. We don't usually say it this way. Our way we would say it is. God, why are you doing that? Or why aren't you coming through for me? Why aren't you why is it taking so long? Why aren't you answering my prayer the way you want? But a true understanding of the fear of the Lord, we're not we understand that God is just, He does it right, and we have no place to say, you know, why are you doing it this way? Um, okay. And then it finished it out there. Basically, at the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor was returned to me. Again, some of that rewards we talked about earlier of life coming when you fear the Lord. Um, we drop down to the end that says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praised and exalted and glorified the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. That is the fear of the Lord right there. Understanding that everything that God does is right. All his ways are just. And by the way, if we try to walk in pride before him, God's able to humble you if he decides to. Right? Just like he did Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, the lastly, this is pretty quick. We all know the story of Job, so I don't have to cap that one. But Job was a righteous man who fell into some major problems. His family all died. His health failed him, And... um Anyway, just thing one thing after other happened to job, and he he believed God, but he got the complaining, right big long complaint with God, or why are you why aren't you why do you do this? I'm righteous and anyway, when it comes down to it, we run into job verse 33 in, or chapter thirty three and God starts to talk to Job and says, "Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I did all this? So there's a two chapter thing, but at the end of it, then the Lord says to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? In other words, are you going to tell me how to do my job? Really? Really, Job? You're going to tell me how to do my job? I'm God, right? Let him accuse his God. You're accusing me? If you're going to accuse me, then answer me. And I love Job's got a fresh fear of the Lord because he his response to his... his I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? He put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. So he's like, God, I'm I'm not like not worthy even to talk back to you. Okay, so he got a fresh look of the fear of the Lord. And then God goes all in the rest of chapter forty. In chapter forty-one, God goes back into a whole another thing about where were you when I was making the stores of snow and the stores of ice and all these great creatures of the sea and you know so God goes to tell about His attributes again and we get to the beginning of Job forty-two and and Job kind of says almost the same thing we saw Nebuchadnezzar say. Which is, again, some of that thought process we have to understand about God. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. Important thing for us to know. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Pretty much the same thing Nebuchadnezzar said. Nobody can stop you. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. things too wonderful for me to know. So Job's like, I'm talking about stuff, but God, I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't know you. You're so holy. You're so just. You're so righteous. I blab about stuff, but I don't know what I'm talking about, ultimately. And that's kind of that position of truly having a good fear of the Lord. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you. And that was what the Lord had said to Job earlier. And Job's response is, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's what a good fear of the Lord will do for us. We will not despise ourselves in the sense of the way God sees us. But when you look at yourself and compare to the holiness, the power, the authority, all of God, we will repent in dust and ashes and say, God, I'm just putting my hand over my mouth. I'm you know, I've complained. I've said these things to you of why you didn't answer my prayers. Why you take so long? Why why why? But I have no right to do that. Okay. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, where is your fear factor this morning? I guess that's where we're going to just end there. Is where is your fear factor? Is at just as the host of the Fear Factor TV show. At the end, he'd always say, "Is fear? Apparently, fear was not a factor for you. I'm hoping fear is a factor for you. Okay, so is fear a factor for you? And if it's not, maybe we need to do some serious check of our own personal fear factor and and again dig into this stuff." a good place to start is read the end of Job because when you see who God is, it will help us in that. So, I guess that's it. Thank you for your attention.
0: I have this because I did all that. Fear of the Lord is to have deep respect, reverence, and awe for God's power, authority, and holiness. But rather than causing one, to be terrified and afraid of God, a proper fear of the Lord causes one to love him. Um, the question that Greg left us with, do we fear the Lord? You know whether you do or not. We see it in our lives. We see when it reveals itself, and we know when it doesn't reveal itself. Do you fear the Lord? If you want to learn about friend the Lord, Greg referenced the end of Job. I would go to the book where it's talked about probably the most, and that's the one on wisdom and knowledge. That's the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is filled with nuggets on the fear of the Lord. But fear of the Lord comes with your relationship or comes through your relationship with Christ. It comes through your understanding of God. It comes as we begin to conceptualize and understand him more and more. My fear factor, as Greg talks about, increases greater and greater. I'm going to pray for us this morning. God, I pray across this room that we would have an understanding of, of our fear factor God I pray for us in this place, Lord we desire wisdom and knowledge we desire life, we desire blessing, we desire a, a fortress for ourselves and our kids. we desire your goodness, your love, your favor, your your guidance, God we desire all that you have for us God, but the core of it, the beginning of it is our understanding of our fear, our holy fear for you. So I pray, God, that you cause us to to understand you more and more, that fear grows and we increase in all that you've called us to do. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the, the scriptures that have been read. We ask, God, that we could hold on to what we need this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll say the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. And this one's easy. May you fear the Lord. Amen. Be blessed and let Greg know you appreciate him.